welcome everybody good to see you guys here welcome to the comet ml office hours powered by the artists of data science super excited to have all you guys here hope you guys had a excellent week thank you guys so much for taking time out of your weekend to come and hang out with us today super excited to have you guys here if you guys wouldn't mind just go ahead and put your microphones on mute so we can minimize any background noise definitely appreciate that Ideally, how's your week been it's been great it's been busy on my end but um getting some things moving we've got uh lots of exciting announcements for comet coming up this month so um just getting getting in gear to do that i've been doing more more marketing work recently what about you oh uh, that's awesome dude i was actually on super data science podcast yesterday oh nice uh, so I was, uh, John brought me onto the show and interviewed me. So I was super excited about that. It's the first time I've ever been invited to a data science podcast. I've been on a couple other podcasts before just for like some friends and stuff. So that was really special to me because, um, I mean, I, I've never been invited to a data science podcast and to be invited to the OG data science podcast, like as the first one that is huge for me. Um, so I was really, really uh, honored to to speak with John on that show. So I'm excited to, to release that episode. But we obviously we're talking about you and talking about our office hours as well during the episode. I did not know you were writing a book. Yes, I will say Super Data Science is like one of my favorite. Like you mentioned, it's an OG podcast. I've loved it. Um, had the pleasure of being on recently. And yeah, the, the book I'm currently writing is about bias and machine learning, going into the different ways we can technically solve these problems. So explainability, interpretability, but then expanding this to like operationalizing ethics in AI. So how do you you convince stakeholders to choose less risky models? How do you be transparent? How do you word your terms and conditions um, to clearly state the kinds of data you collect and how you model it? So it's going uh, it's going pretty in-depth into uh, trying to tackle a lot of like the fairness problems we've seen recently. That is really awesome. I did not know you're writing a book. So now I've got to get you scheduled and brought on to my podcast so we can talk about that because that's something I've been thinking about a lot recently as well because I don't know anything about AI ethics or machine learning ethics or anything. So definitely excited to learn more about that. Something else I've been thinking about recently past couple of days really is like, what does it mean to be a expert in data science, right? Like what does that, what does that mean? What, what's that spectrum look like to go from novice beginner all the way up to, to expert. And um, I don't know, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think a lot of people, it kind of is like specialization. So typically you're a, you get really deep into NLP, your computer vision. Um, I think that's kind of how it starts. But even for a lot of people, this expertise can be in industry as well. So like people who are super strong at product analytics or people who are really in depth into fintech. Um, I think that the the gap is really about experience, about having hands-on um, either projects or solving the difficult problems and having to talk through what solving that looks like um, on a team of at least one other person, I think really helps you get to that level of expert. Um, and I would say just having enough and because the field is growing so quickly. It's like having enough knowledge to be able to be helpful, maybe a little bit to be dangerous, but um, still not knowing everything. You can maybe know 60% about everything that's the core of computer vision and probably be a computer vision expert. 
And there seems to be like a, a difference in the way a beginner approaches a problem versus how an expert approaches a problem. I would say beginners very much are looking for a recipe, a formula, do this, then do that. And then if that doesn't work, try this, try that. Right. And they're very much bound by rules. At what point in your career do you feel like you started to deviate from following recipes and how did you get to that stage? Like, what did you have to do to get comfortable enough to recognize that, okay, this is probably somewhere I can break the rules? Yeah, I would say it came from a lot of uh, the insights I gained from trial and error. So um, a lot of my modeling has been in like traditional ML. So doing things like decision trees, general GLMs, and then putting those into production. So um I got to that point where I felt like I could start breaking the rules when I started to see like mismatches in what I expected. So you run a model, you expect a certain result and you find things that deviate from that. So trying to understand, is this a flaw in my data? Is this a flaw in my assumptions? Going through that process several times um, kind of opened the door to deviating from um what a trait like a stereotypical training process would look like for a model and i'm like oh i can do a lot more things i can do a lot more feature engineering a lot more uh transforms before trying to create a different create a new model and uh, i mean this is something i notice with with people that come on to you know the podcast and office hours like this is like we'll have somebody ask a question and then typically almost like gut knee-jerk reaction is uh, it depends right because there's always the context that needs to be taken into um, consideration when you're working on on any problem, right? So when you're, I feel like when you're working in like a context-free environment, when you're looking for answers that are context-free, to me, that signals maybe might be in that beginner phase. But once you know enough to know that you don't know enough and that you need to start asking questions about context, then I think that kind of is slowly shifting you up towards that spectrum. But yeah, just something I've been thinking about. I'm reading this book right now, Pragmatic Thinking and Learning by Andrew Hunt, who also co-wrote the book, uh, Pragmatic Programmer. So I'm interviewing Andrew Hunt um, this next week, I think. Yeah, next week at some point. And so it just really got me thinking. It's a really, really good book. Highly recommend it uh, to everyone who is um, you know, interested in reading books. But yeah, thanks for, for, for helping me think through that. I really appreciate it. So guys, we got questions up in the queue. We'll start with Christoph, then we'll go to Yash. And shout out to everyone joining. Happy to see all you guys here. Christoph, go for it. Uh, hi, everybody. Um, Harpreet, I, 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 I sent you a message today uh, asking if it would be fine to ask to talk a little bit about mentoring because last week you mentioned that you helped some people to um, get... Uh, possibly best results uh, during uh, job interviews. And um, I feel like I also need a mentor right now. And um, I just wanted to ask a couple of questions about it. Uh, for, um, for instance, what is actually mentoring? What, what, what is meant in this world? Um, I mean, what does it really mean to be a mentor or a mentee? Or um, if 
anybody can become a mentor or if not what who do you have to be to become one that's pretty pretty interesting question i think i just accidentally found myself becoming a mentor somehow and i joined data science dream job as a student myself like three years ago back in 2018 and kyle McHugh is probably the like i'm not even lying when i say this he's probably like the only mentor figure that i've had in like my entire life throughout my career i very much had to figure shit out by myself all the time and that's very unnerving it's not easy um and so i joined data science dream job 2018 and it's like just essentially a mentorship coaching platform for people who are breaking into the field of data science and i took a lot of the lessons to to heart made them my own synthesized them right so i did a little bit of uh did some imitation, assimilation, and some innovation, and then kind of took what I learned through data science dream job and applied it to my own job search process. And I guess Kyle was, I guess he liked my results and liked kind of how I was helping out the community. He just brought me on board as a mentor. Like that was nothing that I was planning to do with my life ever. Like I didn't, didn't have that in the cards. And so that's how that happened. So that's how I became a mentor at data science dream job. So I don't, I don't have like mentees that I just like, like scout out and say, yeah, you, come and be my mentee right it's mostly just through data science dream job that i do this um so that's how that came about and like if we want to talk about data science dream job definitely can can send you um some more information on that but there's another part to your question which was can anyone become a mentor i think well what is a mentor i think it's just somebody who's maybe like a few steps ahead of you in the process i think those tend to be the best mentors it's somebody who has been there done that and maybe might be like three to four steps, five steps ahead of you and can kind of tell you what to watch out for, what to do, what not to do. In that respect, I guess anybody can can be a mentor, but I don't think that's like a relationship people should take lightly. I get messages. I get literally like a hundred messages a day from people like, please be my mentor. And I just ignore them all. I just don't take on like random people to be my mentor. Unless obvious, because it's a time commitment, man. Like trying to like sit down and like give my time to somebody that's time that I can never, ever, ever get back. And I've had students or people reach out to me, want to be my mentee or whatever, and uh, give them advice and they just ignore it completely. And it's like, dude, I gave you like four hours of my life that I can never get back. And you're not going to listen to anything I told you. Um, no, but I'm going off on a tangent. Sorry. Uh, Ideally, I'm going to flip this one over to you as well. What does it mean to be a mentor? Yeah, I think like you mentioned, someone who is just ahead of you in the process, and I'd qualify that by saying they've made enough mistakes and learned from them um, to be able to guide you. So in my experience, I've mentored on um, The Sharpest Minds, which is a data science mentorship platform, as well as Mentor Cruise. Um, So what I gained from a lot of that um, was my job was to sit down with people, help guide them through projects. So um, they'd come with a project idea and say, I want to predict housing prices. Um, We sit and go through the features. They kind of explain that project to me in the way they would an interviewer. Um, And then I'm able to suggest, okay, have you tried stepwise regression? Have you tried doing X, Y, and Z? Um, And through the whole like end-to-end ML uh, project. And then I've helped with like interview prep. And so like mock interview questions. Um, I was able to help you on this project, but explain it to me like we've never met. Um, and that, those would I, that's what I would say were my biggest responsibilities. Um, and, but like Harpreet mentioned, it is a really big time commitment. So um, 
both of those platforms uh, just kind of help bridge that gap because it's really difficult to kind of organically form a really strong like mentor mentee relationship if it's um, not structured in some way. So um, if it's something that you're interested in, I'd say it comes from uh, what you really need to be a mentor is need to have made enough mistakes to then guide someone else uh, on how to not make the same mistakes you did. Yeah. And uh, there's just a couple of my mentees in here from data science dream job. Subash is here. Jaya is here as well. So these are people who had uh, joined Data Science Dream Job as well. So, I mean, I guess they could speak to my effectiveness or ineffectiveness as a mentor. But for me, like when I think about myself as a mentor, like I'm, I'm extremely tough on myself. Like I have very, very, very rigid requirements of myself. Um, and I try to be more tolerant for my mentees, but I, I do like, I'm kind of like strict in a sense, right? Because I do want to see people excel and really live up to their full potential and realize their full potential. And like my personal mentorship philosophy is like, I can't get you there by being soft and fluffy with you. (laughs) I'm always going to be more rigid with myself, but I'll be just as tough on my mentees. I don't know if uh, Jaya or Subash want to comment on on, uh, what Data Science Dream Job is like, what their experience was like. Yeah, so for me... um... Actually, uh, I have I have not really made use of the data science dream job mentoring uh, site. Uh, I mean, the the that portion of it yet uh, because you know trying to learn a lot of other stuff before I come into the mentoring part of it. So can't speak too much about it. So, sorry, but I've been attending Harpit's mentoring for the Friday and the Sunday. So that has been my go-to at the moment. So, uh, so uh, yeah, I, I can't speak for DSDJ yet, but uh, I, I definitely like, uh, so far, whatever the setup that they have has been has been very good for me. At least I have some sort of a guidance to uh, how to reach my path as a data scientist. Uh, before I was all over the place, you know, there was no guide, nothing. So, you know, I, I, I was just doing this, doing that. That was just all over. So I needed a structured program to kind of take me step by step. I need to do this first and do the next module first and then the next. And so it's really good. So right now I'm like in the phase three of it, like learning all the different topics and subject and hopefully all that is done then I will go into the mentoring session when I have a project ready to show for so I think the mentoring part is definitely valuable uh, I think uh, when you have someone who's ahead of you like what Ayudeli said you know they've been through it they've done it they've made the mistakes and you know and uh, they can help those who are who are trying to get there uh, for sure with the experiences it's definitely super super helpful and I, I wish I had this mentoring earlier on in my when I was in my journey to, towards becoming a data science, uh, you know, someone would say, hey, don't do this, do that, you know, and uh, that would have been super helpful and would have saved me maybe years of doing stuff that maybe didn't matter, you know. So I think that is the thing because time is something you don't have, right? And it, it keeps on moving, keeps on moving and you can't catch up. So <clears throat> I think this time component is super valuable. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm all for mentoring. And uh, like I said, I wish I had this earlier in years ago. That would have really, really helped me speed up in, in stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I feel the exact same way. Uh, it's funny that you, you go to all my free events, but uh, not the ones that you pay for. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm not ready with the project. So I want to get into it pretty soon once I finish all those, you know, the I think the DSG has set up like, do, yeah. this, do, do this for statistics, do this for linear algebra, do this for programming. So I'm trying to go through the modules. And yeah, that portion is taking a lot of time, I feel. But 
it, but it's very valuable. So I, I must say. Yeah. And I wish I had something like that as well. And I think the biggest thing about having a mentor is like, I've made a ton of mistakes, both in job search process, on the job, in my life, in my career. And you don't have to make all the same mistakes. So I'll tell you what I did and you can avoid doing the stupid shit that I did on my path to get here. So that's a huge plus as well. Um, I saw Subash was unmuted. If you want to chime in, Subash, go for it. I think Davron's Davron's also a DSTJ student as well. So damn, there's a lot of you guys here today. Uh, Yeah, Yeah. go for it. I definitely, I'm not sure like if you were hard on me or something like that, I always end like, uh, weekly, at least I need one of your officers uh, for the last two weeks since you are preparing for a ground up SQL. Uh, we didn't have your uh, office hour sessions. I was missing those sessions, definitely. So I always learn something when you talk. So I always like to be on wherever it is, like whether if it is a free event or like the DSDJ officers or whatever it is, I always get a good something to learn from whatever you talk. So I always like being on your officers. <laughs> Right on. Yeah. At the very least, you get to hear me just ramble on about things for minutes on end, which can be entertaining. Um, I don't know if Christoph, if that uh, answered your question or not. Uh, It does. Although I have a follow-up question, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. Uh, So uh, because you're using like a platform, are there also the options like person to person? I mean, could I approach a person with a um, with mm, suggestion? I I mean, may I pick someone, or it doesn't work like this? I see I mean, what you mean. Yeah, yeah. So I'd like. I mean, so. Uh, just barring the talk we're doing about data science dream job, that's all just office hour sessions that are a bit more intimate than what we have here, like five to 10 people at the most. But if you are somebody who is looking to find mentorship from someone else, I think the absolute wrong way to go about it is just to message someone and say, hey, can you mentor me? Because there's absolutely nothing in it for that person to mentor you. Obviously, people are good. We're all good people. We want to help people. But to ask somebody to just give up their their time for like to a stranger for no purpose, like that's a huge ask, I think. Um, so if you can find something that you can help them with, right? Like let's say, for example, let's say you approach me and say, hey, Harpreet, like, can you be my mentor? And I'll be like, um, sure. What? How? How is this going to be a mutually beneficial type of arrangement, right? Um, if you can help me free up time somewhere else, that then gives me more free time to work with you. Then that's a win-win, a positive sum game, right? So if you're going to approach somebody to like be your mentor, then try to make it a positive sum game somehow, right? Does that make sense? So let's say you reach out to I don't know. Let's say you reach out to my friend David Langer and I say, hey, David. I'd love to be your mentee. Um, I know that you do these videos. I've got particular skill in editing video. I'd be happy to offload some minor video video editing from you if you are able to help me through my job search process or something, right? Try to make the offer mutually beneficial and make it a positive sum game for someone, right? Because if you approach somebody to be your mentor and it's a zero sum game, meaning they have to give up their time in order to help you, um, I don't know if that's the best way, but then again, that's just my preference and the way I think about things. Um, Ideally, what do you think? You might be a far more kinder, generous than I am, but... um I would say, first of all, that's a good place to start. Um, The tactic I would urge not to use is kind of the very general, hey, I'm looking for a mentor. Um, But I would encourage you to find, um, you might have to do like a Twitter keyword search, but there are some people who are doing like office hours similar to what we do. So a lot more one-to-many kind of mentorships. 
um, especially if they are someone who's got like fang experience it's going to be a lot easier for them if they're if they're already doing like um an office hours to try and get one of those slots than um getting like a one-to-one kind of mentorship so um i would also suggest kind of being open-minded to some of those small group options as well right on hopefully that answered your question christoph uh, definitely and it also answered my next question actually <laughs> i i really uh, have a question how to make it uh mutually beneficial and make it a win-win situation and you just describe it so thank you very much that was that was very very helpful yeah definitely i think the more we learn to play positive sum games the better off everybody will be so if you can if you can try to find ways to to make somebody else's life easier to get you ahead go for it positive sum game all right so queued up on the question list i've got yash then asha then tour so we'll start with yash is yash still here yeah uh hello everyone uh my name is yash kandilwal and uh, i am currently doing bachelor's of science in applied statistics and analytics and i am very first time attending the happy hour i saw the post of happy hour on linkedin and i didn't attend this is my first time i hope i will enjoy this meetup and uh, i am doing a side by side a quantum computing course so yeah right on well i hope you enjoy it as well thanks for coming um, we have these every sunday so feel free to come by add it to your calendar they'll be here we'll be here every sunday at least until may so right on dude good to meet you uh, if at any point you got a question just let us know we will then move to asha hi everyone I had the same question but it has been answered. My question was also on the mentors part, but my question is how do you know what skill you're going to gain? Do you look at areas where you're weak before you approach a mentor then tell them these are the areas I'm weak or do you just approach it with an open mind and hope to learn anything they have to offer? I mean, I would, I would take the opposite approach. I'd approach somebody just because they have a specific skill set and that's the skill set that I wish to learn, right? Like that's kind of the approach that I would take. because you might have a goal to get better at computer vision let's just say cuz we were talking about that earlier but if he came to me and asked me to mentor you in computer vision dude i'd be completely useless cuz i know like zero things about computer vision right uh, but if he came to me and said hey look i'm looking to up my statistics game then yeah maybe i might be able to help you or you know if you have want to develop a strength in classical machine learning then yeah i could probably help you but um you have to make sure that whoever you're reaching out to you target them for a specific skill set that they are known for if that makes sense ideally what do you think yeah i think especially if you are hoping to specialize that's a great route to take if you want to be a little bit more general um I think if you focus more so on the kind of project you want to complete so um maybe you are looking for someone who has skills in computer vision um for a computer vision project you want to do making sure to target those people well um and it's kind of like the recruiter tactic like i'm sure um this is fairly common but you're trying to get into analytics and you're getting jobs for web developers and you're like well that's not even close to what i'm looking for so trying to target um your mentors the exact same way so um if you're into natural language processing try and find people find people who have written papers on it or who have talked at conferences about it um you can start seeing those as good tools for different kinds of mentors you can potentially reach out to. All right, thank you so much. Awesome. Yes, it did. Okay, great. Um thanks for the questions guys. Super happy that you guys are asking some 
Awesome questions here. Tor is coming here with a, uh, he's got a dilemma. Tor, what is your dilemma? Like, technically right now, uh, just to close, this is kind of like a little bit off topic on the, the mentorship, but right now I'm developing a sauce or a concept. And this is now going to be, and I'm working on the uh, analyzing and estimating the users or subscriptions that are going to be sold. And the challenge I have is that um, the subscription is kind of like a twofold. You have one which is paying and one which is free. And with the free one, what you want to do is to allow users to access the tool and share. And by sharing, they will now generate new accounts. It's an automated process. That's technically how I'm attracting them and trying to attract new users. The problem I'm having is that when I'm analyzing it and making a model now to calculate this, I get into a circular reference problem in Excel because I'm saying that one user will generate three new users, for example, every three months. Each of those new users will again generate three new. So I can't bring it back into the new calculations and I'm trying to figure out a way to calculate this, either through a formula, if there's some sort of a, uh, uh, how should I say, an exponential formula type of sort of type, and to bring that into the model that I'm creating, or is there a way around the problem of this regeneration into the new calculations? I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> um, that's been taking me a minute to digest. But I mean, my first initial thought is like, can you get a database up and running and work from there? Because I feel like using Excel sheets might be a bit of a challenge. I, that's the challenge with Excel. It is clearly a challenge, and the the when I'm and how how I'm actually budgeting new users is by putting in per period. Not spending for for five years, but for the first year, I'm kind of doing a monthly input. And then for year two, I'm doing quarterly. Year three, I'm doing half yearly. And then four and five yearly. So I just plug in individual incremental values per period. Now, from that, it will then have a second table where it's now calculating the uh, quote-unquote conversion rate where... When because I have different subscription packages, you will have an upgrade. I'm saying 10% of users will upgrade to the next package within a period of time. But then I get into the issue of this particular sharing where they are using the tool and sharing the report with other uh, friends and family or workers, etc. And every time that's done, it creates a new account automatically, which the receiver will then receive. Now, in my model, I can't then bring it back in to the conversion table because then I get the, um, the circular reference. So the conversion table then, of course, all these free accounts that are created, a certain portion of them will then be converted into paying customers. And then they will be brought into the model so that they will be upgraded as well because the, the timeline is that you get a new user in on this account. Within three months, they will then upgrade to the next level and to the next level again after 12 months and so on and so forth. And the problem is that 
this uh, waterfall effect is just not possible to do in Excel. So the question I really have, can it be done? That's one, uh, not in Excel, but in general. And if you're doing it, what type of tools are you using? How are you doing it statistically? Is there a formula I can use? Is there some sort of a mythology I can bring into this? That's my dilemma. Yeah, so ideally, I think this might be something you probably deal with that comment, right? Given your guys' business model sounds very similar to this. Yeah, I've definitely worked something with something similar along the lines of this. So um, in that regards, it can be done. In my experience, what I've used is a a combination of tools. So we were using, um, I think it was Amplitude for our like product metrics in combination with Alteryx. So that's um, just a UI tool that you can um, wrangle data with, clean data with, create models within. Um, And then we actually had that export uh, similar types of tables that you're working with um, to Excel sheets that we ended up using for dashboarding and reporting. So um, I would look into, um, I'm not sure, I know Alteryx is a mostly paid tool, so I'm not sure if there's something along the lines that is free, Um, but that might be helpful in that it allows you to get data from different inputs. uh, And if you need to make transforms within it, you can do that as well. And just kind of beyond the tool, maybe the keywords that you want to search is uh, probably some combination of cohort analysis, conversion attribution modeling. Those might be things to look up um, and try to see if you can get your stuff in a database because I feel like that can probably make things a lot easier for you. Um, yeah, so It's an interesting thing because when I was calculating it today uh, and I'm working on it today, well, I've been working on it for the last three days. The, you know, it started spinning and the users went to X amount of trillions with an E in front <laughs> before Excel decided to stop. So, but um, those, I'm going to have to come back and listen to this again. But if you could type in just those references that you gave in the text, um, and then I can use that as a reference and I'll do a little bit of research out there. Yeah, definitely. So uh, just to I'll type it out as I'm saying it. So it's cohort yeah. analysis. So right. that. And then conversion attribution modeling. Those might be helpful in this situation in terms of keywords to look up. Um, and then, I mean, you could probably find resources in, in how to do it with Excel, um, but those are the, the two concepts I'd look up in this case. And um, any other concept that might be useful here? Not off the top of my head, I'd say cohort analysis mostly covers it. Um, yeah. Cool. All right, hopefully that helps, man. Um, I'll start there, and if uh, I'll bring it back up, um, you'll hear more from me on the podcast. I just hope we're not off topic here. If I'm asking these questions, so yeah, there's here's the thing: there's actually no topic to these things. This is driven entirely by your questions. Uh, so next up, I got so I'll put Jay, I got Jay in the queue, then I got Asha again, and then I got Davron. Also, want to take a minute to shout out my friend. Natasha Kapoor, who I have not seen in years. Uh, we used to work together way back in the days in Chicago. Um, dude, I haven't, seen, haven't seen you in like eight years almost. How you been? Um, I, it's good. A lot has gone or a lot's happened since then. Yeah, yeah you're doing big <laughs> yeah. things, man. You're doing big things in data science as well. So that's awesome. No, I mean, you're the expert. 
Dude, I'm not an expert. <laughs> you're you're hosting data science pot. I mean, this is amazing. I'm this is amazing. A, I just failed my way up somehow and this happened. Um definitely not an expert by any yeah. means. Can I just do a brief introduction and yeah, kind of um definitely. sorry, or I'll just wait until the other no, questions no. are answered. No, no, go for it, go for it. Okay. Yeah, so my name is Natasha Kapoor. Um I graduated with a master's in data science back in 2016. Um, so back then, there was just a few programs um, that were available, and I ended up um, choosing St. Peter's University in New Jersey. Um, the director of the program, I was really impressed with his background, and he developed the whole curriculum. Um, his name is Professor Joan. So he came from MIT, Caltech, and I mean, he was just very cutting edge and um he sucked a lot of my blood but it was it was one of the best time i've had and i wish i could go back to academia but you know maybe in the near future um but i do feel like um it's just the, the competition for data science jobs um it's just gotten enormous and um yeah i'm, I'm kind of intimidated with people and interviews um some here to uh you know kind of um i know i have a lot of uh brushing up to do on um the theory part of machine learning so the supervised unsupervised algorithms um also uh in these sessions uh can one like just present uh, you know, I did this uh, natural language or text mining project uh, for an insurance company. And, you know, of course, you have to kind of start out with like building your logic, the algorithm. Um, so maybe in one of these sessions, uh, could I have someone like kind of give me feedback on maybe how to make the algorithm more efficient or maybe like a um, certain function, uh, maybe it, reduced amount of code mm -hmm. um so kind of like a github concept but live <laughs> yeah definitely um just as long as you're comfortable sharing the stuff because these are all posted to youtube but i'll post to the podcast so if there's any confidential information that you don't yeah want to i was yeah i was just gonna use dummy data yeah, cool. just make up the uh, data yeah, so you can definitely bring it here. Like I know nothing about NLP next to nothing just because I haven't haven't really worked in that space. So uh, I don't know how helpful I'll be, but there's a bunch of people here as well that might be able to help. Or on Fridays, there might be um, some, I know for a fact there's NLP people that show up on Friday. And regarding the interview process, check out the um, office hour session from last week. We actually spent like a, a fair amount of time talking about how challenging it is to pass these data science interviews. So I think you'll enjoy that session. Um, yeah, dude, it's not easy. Like I, I still get like constantly rejected from job opportunities. Just, you know, it's, it's part of it, man. It's yeah. Yeah. Like my self-esteem goes down like to, to the ground. So it's like, ah, yeah. But then I push myself be like, okay, like what else, you know, where do I need to improve? You know, what, um, sort of courses should I take or, you know, should I read up on? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's just job or job rejections are hard to digest. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Take a look at the session. I think that the date was, I posted it just on Thursday on my YouTube channel and we go deep on, on, on that topic. I think you'll really enjoy that. Uh, but okay. yeah, good, to, good to see you again, man. It's been, it's been literally like almost a decade. Damn dude. We're, we're old. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Thanks, Herb. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm also looking for a mentor like yourself. Um, 
So any feedback? I know this was discussed early in the session, but yeah. So uh, I'll do this guys. If you guys are interested, uh, here's uh, dsdj.co. I'll give you guys 70% off. If you're interested in checking it out, go for it. See what it's all about. Um, so yeah, check, check that out um, for sure. And then I'll obviously like, you know, we, we got this session and then Friday session as well. And, you know, I'm happy to, to help you guys through uh, during those two time points as well um but is yeah. there a difference between the two sessions the one on friday and the one no. on sundays no they're just okay. just uh different times i guess yeah but okay. they're exactly the same they're exactly the same amount of awesomeness that is for sure <laughs> cool awesome so jaya it is your yeah <clears throat> my question is um i know my my end goal is to become a data scientist and i know that's going to take some time to get there but i like to know uh, what job roles can I get in now, still data related, still uh, touch upon different data aspects, but not as high as data scientists. What would be some of the roles that I can try now, given the fact that I've got some some projects, I've got some uh, you know, skills, tech skills, non-tech skills. How can I get in, into a company and, uh, that has a role that is, has data flavor in it. So I'm kind of, I've been looking through different job postings. They all look very confusing, sometimes asking too much, too little. So what would be the first step? What are some roles, name of roles that, that can kind of get me a foot into the door before becoming a data scientist? Yeah, yeah. I, I would say, first of all, still apply for data science roles, like just apply for them and just see, get feedback from the market as to where they think you fall right that's always important like for example like i just randomly apply for it like i'll spend one month applying to nothing but ceo level roles just to see if people think i can be a ceo okay <laughs> nobody, nobody thinks that yet um but I, I mean obviously data analyst is one thing as well but the weird thing is that companies will have all sorts of weird names for positions that when you look at the job posting and the job description itself like huh that sounds like a a data scientist, but maybe the right. position title itself will say like technical analyst or reporting analyst or things like that. Uh, the one thing I like about, well, I mean, there's many things I like about LinkedIn, but the really cool thing about LinkedIn's job search feature is that you can search by skills. Um, and if you search okay. by, if you search by skills, like we can do a quick example, actually, if you okay, want, yeah. um, let's uh, pull up LinkedIn here. Um, well, Iodeli has disabled screen sharing, um, which, is, which is fine. Can you, can you make me the host, Iodeli? Check my yes. set. Yeah. Um, so on LinkedIn, so for everybody listening on the podcast, watch YouTube for this part. But on LinkedIn, if you go to the job search and you'll see, if you click on jobs, it'll say search by title, skill, or company. And you can actually search by just putting in like maybe like Python, comma, SQL, comma, data visualization. And then just look at the, the variety of like job titles that come up. So if you um, if you guys do that right now, right? Say you pull up LinkedIn. I don't, I don't think I can, can I share my screen yet. No, not yet. Um, don't worry about it. Uh, we'll, we'll move past the screen sharing part. But yeah, when you go to LinkedIn, like for example, I'll, I'll do live and direct right now just without showing you guys. I'm on LinkedIn, went to jobs. I'm going to search for your next job and I'll type in Python comma sql comma data right and then i'm looking in this case i will change it to worldwide and the like some of the the titles that that come up like they don't say data analyst like or data scientist in it one is loyalty analytics analyst uh data analytics lead um business analytics lead and i look at the the title and it's like it says business analytics lead but when i look at the 
job description, it says who you are, extensive data science and analytics experience, expertise in business analysis, demonstrated skill and ability in Python or SQL. And it's like, oh, well, that sounds like a data scientist type of role to me. Um, so try to search by skill rather than actual job title. And that will help you get exposure to jobs that don't necessarily have that title. But when you look at the contents of what that role does, it's actually in line with what you're looking for. Ideally, what are some interesting job titles you've seen in your search? Um, there are a lot. So um, pretty much anything with analysts in it. So it can be business analyst. Um, there are also titles like analytics engineer, um, which I don't think I would have initially targeted, especially when looking for data science-esque jobs. Um, I've also seen a lot of organizations have data scientists really under the data engineer job title. Um, and that's one that while kind of adjacent, if you have a really strong programming background, um, it's easier to step into a data engineer role and then um, maybe step into a data science role if that's what you'd like to do. Um, I've also seen business intelligence really mean data science, <laughs> despite the fact that they um, don't really mention data science and almost anything under analytics. So um, there are a ton of job titles and that's why it's, it's really hard to search for them that way. Yeah, if I could chime in, um, so the BI, like the business intelligence jobs from what I've seen or have experience with is that they're looking for someone with, you know, ETL experience and then also the um, uh, BI visualization tools. So like Power BI, Tableau. Um, but I feel like those tools, you know, a data science scientist position would have anyways. So it, it, I think it all kind of like overlaps. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So the most common tools are that I've seen on job descriptions are, um, you know, definitely SQL or Looker or T-SQL or NoSQL, um, you know, for your storage, like DBMS tool. Um, and then you're actually, the, the um, tool that you use for model building is, um, the popular one is Python. Um, I mean, I use R, but I don't think it really matters. And then your data viz tool, um, the most common ones are, yeah, Tableau and Power BI. Like here's an interesting one that like I just saw, I pulled up, you know, I typed in skills that I was looking for and this job title is called strategist, right? That's just the title that, that, that they're hiring for strategist. And I look at what they're looking for, responsibilities, handle data transfer from client to horizon media and to external data partners, maintain, monitor data reporting, integrity, uh, export and format quantitative results, uh, perform data mining to extract insights, recognize and communicate meaningful patterns in data. Uh, when they put skills, comfortable working with large data sets, strong analytical skills, with the ability to collect, organize, and analyze. I don't know, like I'm looking at this, I'm like, oh, this, like you couldn't just call this job data scientist. Like why yeah. <laughs> strategist, yeah. right? Like it, yeah. Um, and okay. I think that that's also, I mean, not to not to shout out companies or whatever, but when you put the job title of something like this, like strategist instead of data scientist, all of a sudden they don't have to pay you a data scientist salary, right? That's kind of oh, the way yeah, I, I see right. Um But yeah, great question. Anything else to add, Iodeli, or should we move to the next question? I think we're good. Awesome. Uh, I have a quick question. Sorry, I was yeah. trying to... Yeah. Type into my LinkedIn and I couldn't get to the part where you're saying put it in the search bar. So you said go to the search bar, right? Not not is it under the jobs thing mm -hmm. or you click on jobs and then go to the search bar? Yeah. So you click on jobs, there's like the little 
suitcase looking yeah, thing. Suitcase, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You click on jobs and then it says search for your next job and then search by title, skills, or company. Gotcha. So, okay. And you could just type it, type in skills. Um, you, you mm-hmm. might want to do a more maybe keyword search style where you put the skills themselves in quotes, try quotes. With, without that and see what happens. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Cool. Thank you so much. That, yeah. that is super helpful. No problem. Where are you located, by the way? I, I forgot. I'm located in the, the Bay Area. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You'll probably find all sorts of weird job titles then. Yeah. That's yeah. why I kind of like, wait a minute. I, 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 I'm not ready for data science job yet because I still don't know how to do models and stuff. But I want something that kind of gets me into the data world and, you know, do data cleaning, exploration, data analysis. I'm comfortable with that. So I'm kind of looking for those type of jobs that just give me a foot into the door in the data world. And then, you know, maybe a few years down the road, I become a data scientist or something. But, yeah. So so the, the roles are so confusing sometimes, you know. And I, I it's like, uh, okay. Sometimes the data analysts, when I look at them, they want people to do models and stuff. That doesn't look like data analyst to me. That's more like a data scientist. And, you know. It's, I just feel the job description, some of them are just putting everything in there just to get this unicorn person or whoever, you know, so it's, it's, yeah. So I was just wondering, am I missing something here? Is it, should I be looking for something else? Some people say, oh, go look for product analysts or business analysts. But business analysts to me is more like a project manager. They take down requirements, you know, they talk to customers and that kind of stuff. So that's more like business analysts. But I'm also seeing business analysts, but then they have all this data job that they're doing. So that's where in the Bay Area, it's just like everything's so mixed up. Yeah, yeah. So definitely type in the skills, look holistically at the, the entire posting, and, and then based on the description of the job and the posting, then apply for it. Okay. Um, so when you say the skills, right, and if I'm looking for a data not a data scientist the skills could be pipe not not a data science role but just any other role that's below it so i should be yeah. looking for skills like python or sql is that what i should be yeah shooting def- for? definitely type that as well um just quick quick heads up like you're keep knocking your microphone and it's uh it's oh it's, okay you're, you're making it a uh, a difficult experience for the po- people listening on the podcast uh, okay. but, but like you can put like for example like data cleaning right mm-hmm. and then maybe data vi- i don't know how to spell visualization uh visualization um, and if I type in right now, I put data cleaning, data visualization, and then I've got roles here for reporting, visualization, and insights analyst, Power BI report developer. I've got uh, IT storage analyst. That's weird. Um, analytics engineer. Like, I've, what the hell is that? Analytics engineer. Never heard of that. Um, right? Like, all these weird like job titles that are popping up, like ETL slash BI analyst. Uh, mm-hmm. applied research analyst and i'm looking at like this applied research analyst job description and this is i'm looking at a job in canada obviously that's, that's where i live and like it just all looks like data science type of stuff so that's one way to do it put the actual maybe tool itself but if you want to put the okay. general skill name then mm-hmm. that will work as well okay great thank you very much yeah no problem all right so next up on our list we've got um we got asha back up for another question so my my question is, when it comes to, especially when you're doing an analysis on your own, away from work, so you have that problem of how do I ask the correct question? How do I frame the question, especially when building a model, so you know how to go from it? For that domain knowledge, do I need to have done do I need to do a few business courses and is there anything you can recommend or how do you go about it? For me, I can, I approach problems with a very technical side to it. If it's the numbers good, I'll give them to you. 
that I'm okay with. The problem I mostly have is thinking around it, thinking, because most of the times I'm doing something and someone comes, there's an easier way to do this. But most of the knowledge they have is domain knowledge, for lack of a better word, in terms of business. Are there any business courses you would recommend or not? Is there, how do you phrase the question? Yeah. So, I mean, I don't think there's like a business course that that you can take that will just teach you like how to get domain knowledge in general. Um, But I'd I'd say research and read up about what people are doing in that industry. That'd probably be a good way to do it. Um, I'm going to turn this one over to Iodeli. Yeah, I think first um, try and get really close to any business partners or stakeholders. So if you are um, currently working in an organization, try and sit in even on their meetings and understand the kinds of problems they're running into. Um, That's probably one of the best ways to get this domain knowledge. I've also recommended this book before, but it helps um, really technical folks try and think about things on business terms. But um, data science for Business is a good book that um, will start to shed light on why you're starting to get these requests for numbers, why you're starting to do these models um, and how it impacts the rest of your business. So um, that should be helpful. Do you have any context you can put around that, Asha? Let's just say, for example, like you're asking a general question, but I'm sure you're asking because you're working on something specific. If you want to talk about the specific case and then maybe we can give you a set of principles that you can then use to apply to the next problem? No, a lot of this is a problem I've been facing a lot. I think I approach problems from a very technical side. If you want the numbers, I'll give them to you. If you want the visualizations, I'll do it. But a lot of the times I go through, for example, choosing the correct, you go into a new field, into a new market, sorry. You don't have enough information on customers. So you have to decide who is a good customer to interact with, for example, on giving out loans and who is a bad customer. So, for example, you will need to think of how to go through it. I was having this conversation at work. My thought process went to something very complicated when someone just came with a simple solution, like just do A-B testing. While my head was going through, I'll do the probabilities, I'll do base law. Like I was going through the whole numbers, thinking through things. Is it something you just pick up with experience or do you? It's the curse of knowledge. It's, I think that's what that is right so you just you know so much stuff and you just want to apply it and i think at times it's a very good practice just to pause and just think from the ground up without introducing terminologies without introducing any of these complicated things just think about what it is that the actual request is and i think you get there by having conversations with your stakeholder by asking questions and and then from the answers to those questions map a possible solution. So don't come right out the gate with a solution mindset, come with a question mindset and a, let me figure something out based on a interview with you and then move forward from there. I see Torres' hands up. He probably has some great advice here as well. There we go. Yeah, this is um, common. I I mean, I've been working as a business controller and a financial controller and auditor. And, you know, in auditing, we always face new things. I'm auditing in the oil and gas industry. I need to get involved in engineering. I need to get involved in drilling and production and temperature, you name it. I think the key is, is when you're, the the general problem I find by most people, especially when you meet people that are very skilled, is that they go directly into the complexity and the problems. And they basically create so many problems, nobody wants to listen anymore. And one of the things that I've come to conclude or or learned is that 
start simple. I mean, you're talking about customers in the bank who are good or bad. Well, the bad customers is very simple. It's the ones that don't pay. So if you don't know, you start there. That's a good starting point. You find out who hasn't paid. And then all the questions are going to automatically start coming. The next step is going to be, why didn't they pay? Is it uh, environmental? Is it uh, they couldn't, didn't have bank access, whatever. And then as you progress, you have to start involving the people that sits with the knowledge so that you will then bring in the marketing people. You will start bringing in the financial staff. You will bring in the different people and they will then start to give you a picture. Once you have that picture, that's when you are you have been learning. You are now in a position where you can actually start applying your skills. For me, you cannot solve a problem if you don't understand the problem. And to understand your problem, you have to learn. And every time I go into a situation, you have to be open and learn. Just listen, learn, listen, learn. When you get confident, then start approaching with your skill set. And you will be challenged, guarantee you. Uh, no, that's not the way it is. Then, well, there's nothing wrong about being challenged. That's a good thing. It means that you can now focus more and more. And over time, like in sales, I've always said, eliminate the no's. You will end with a yes. It's not a question. You will always end with a yes. Because a person that doesn't want to buy, you have to find out why. And then you eliminate that. And then you go to the next no. And then you eliminate that. At the end of the day, there's just a yes. So for me, the whole thing is to start out by asking and keep it simple to start and the complexity will come automatically. You will meet people that will start with the complexity right off the bat that slow them down. You have to control people's expectation, meaning that if they come with a lot of skills, that's a lot of knowledge, a lot of information, break it down, slow them down so that you can follow up because you are the one that has to learn. And once you get up to a level where you can follow, then you're set to go. And now you can start modeling and really go into the details because now you're set. Absolutely love that. I was interviewing David Benjamin earlier this week. He wrote the book, uh, Cracking Complexity, and he has a 10-step formula for cracking complex problems. And step one is ask a really, really good question. So I think it starts with questions and then follow up with methodology. Idali, what do you think? Yeah, I, I agree. I go kind of with the five whys. So um, getting to the root cause of why they're bringing up this project, why um, these numbers are important to them. Once you truly have a good understanding. And I think that knowing that getting that understanding does take time. Um, it unfortunately is not uh, like one sit-in meeting or uh, one conversation is not going to make you an expert in it. So knowing that you will be more familiar over time um, and then you can use all of the other methodologies, you know, and apply them when you're starting to get to the meat of the technical work. So um, worry, you can worry a little bit less about that up front and just try to um, also flex your ability to push back as well. Um, you'll find that they will make a lot of assumptions that tend to back up their business goals, but may not be truly substantiated. So I hate to say take it with a grain of salt, but you have to, um, the biggest muscle I had to learn was that we should be the squeaky wheel. We should be pointing out um, when we are just reinforcing um, what we think is true and not what we've actually seen evidenced in our particular data set. So um, being able to flex your ability to say no or to redirect when um, they bring bring up a certain kind of uh, project. So, yeah. Right on. My, so go for sorry, it, go on. 
No, no, no. I was just going to call on you to see if that answered your question. Yes. Okay. First things first. Thank you for the other weekend. That really helped. My other question is, I feel like with this field, I'm consistently learning. Like it, it has reached a point where there is no line between my social because I'm consistently taking new classes. I'm consistent. I consistently keep meeting new things I don't know. You've been in this field longer than me. How do you go about it? Is, is there no end? Do you just keep meeting new things and learning new things and taking new classes and going on every weekend you have a new class to go on or mm. do you just stick to what you know, perfect that and that's because every time you go somewhere, you meet someone talking about something brand new you've never had of now you have another class to start taking when you're done you meet something else you start taking another class yeah i mean you're first of all yes you will always be learning as a data scientist to stay relevant and current in this field you're always going to be learning something at some point do you need to learn everything that you hear about in the news no absolutely not i don't think you need to just because data scientist xyz at abc company is learning about one, two, three, does not mean that I need to learn about that because it's not relevant to what I'm doing in my day-to-day job. So that's why I'm a huge proponent of just investing time in fundamentals and principles and methodology. And then from there, whenever you need to learn something, you know that you can fall back on a strong foundation to pick anything up going forward. Right. So for me, like I'll, I spend more time reviewing statistics and classical machine learning and principles and, you know, processes of how to solve a question, how to ask a good question than I do learning about deep learning stuff. Um, that's just to my perspective. I don't think you need to learn everything. Do I always learn? Yeah. I spend a huge amount of my time learning. Literally every waking minute, I would say, of my day is spent learning something. Like you look around my desk, I've got no fewer than 12 books on my desk right now. Um, I mean, they're fun books and they're books for people that I'm interviewing, which is cool. Um, but yeah, I think that's just part of being a day scientist is continuous learning and improvement. And I think that's what makes the job so amazing and Fortunately for me, like on the job, like I get ample opportunities to study on the job. Um, You know, like my framing is I wouldn't learn this stuff outside of work. I'm learning this stuff to add value to this company. Therefore, this is work. Therefore, bill it to research. Um, That's my perspective. I see Natasha is muted. So let's hear from Natasha. Then let's hear from Ayodele on this. Oh, I was just going to say I can vouch for what Harp is saying because we work together. He was yeah, constantly learning on the job. That's 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 the way to be. <laughs> yeah, and back then I was taking actuarial exams. So yeah, so like yeah. they literally were paying me to not only study for the exams, but they paid me when I passed the exams as well, which was nice. Um, but yeah, having to study on the job is is key. Um, but don't feel like you have to learn everything. I think that's that's really really important. Uh, I'd love to hear from Iodeli and then whoever else wants to jump in on this, man, let's let's hear from you guys as well. Yeah, I double down on um, not feeling overwhelmed, but um, instead trying to see it as you have the opportunity to learn all of these things. Uh, sometimes it's hard to tell what is important for your job or for your role and what is um like the hot new language model. Um, But I think trying to take that pressure off yourself that you have to know everything, um, that's not the case and no, no one does. I think when I started to get into the mindset that I will always be behind in something um, and it's just an opportunity and recognizing that so many people specifically in data science and machine learning, uh, like compared to several other fields, are so open and willing to talk and excited to tell people about um, the things that they know. So 
I've gone to conferences and been like, I don't understand what this concept is. And someone who was like, oh, I wrote some of the foundational code will go through the basics with me. Like we are lucky that um, we're in an industry like that. So um, recognizing that as well, that um, there's probably less looking down, like you should know this thing. And um, people are more likely just willing to help you either understand the concept or give you resources, book advice and uh, recommendations. And another thing I found helpful to manage everything is just something as simple as this. It's a weekly to-do list, right? And you can see here, like, these are all the things I'm doing Monday, Tuesday, so on and so forth. Here's like daily things that I'm doing. Here's other stuff that I want to do during the week. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to check every single box every day, but at least I know where I'm headed, what the week is going to be like. And it might be helpful for you to manage your life in terms of seasons of intellectual curiosity, right? So it might be that, you know what, over the next seven weeks, I'm going to focus entirely on understanding customer churn and understanding what that is all about, right? And if you do that times six or eight, what, seven times eight is 56, right? Yes. So that's a year. So you can learn eight things in a year that way by having seasons of intellectual curiosity. And I, I find that to be very manageable and helps because dude, if you try to do like, okay, day one day, I'm going to do this next day, I'm going to do that. Then you don't really make progress. I don't know if that makes sense or if, if that's helpful at all or not. Yes, it's very helpful. At least I know the consistent learning is not only me. I'm not looking yeah. down and not stepping back to look at the bigger picture. Yeah. At least everyone is doing it. Yeah. See, Tor has his hand up. Was it, or was your hand still up from the last time? Yeah, no, it's not from last time. I, um, I, I just want to comment on this because, you know, uh, I've been in the working environment for too long. Might retire yesterday, uh, not because of the hard work, but more the experience. But for me, the key is that, I mean, it's impossible to learn everything. And that, that is just not possible. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your time trying. And don't waste your time taking a lot of courses. Because at the end of the day, if you don't use what you're learning in that course, I give it three months, four months, and it's gone. It has no value. The only value you will get is actually, like I already said, that is that if you take a topic, learn the basics, that will give you the basics. So later on, if you happen to get into a situation where you need to learn, you remember, ah, there was an article on that. There was, I remember that situation that that's when you, if you need it, then go and take the course, um, especially if you're going to pay for it. Other than that, to me, it's really completely a waste. It's better to work on your skill set and improve what you're actually doing right now in your job. Take your energy and spend it wisely because there's only so much. And you need to have a life outside. Work isn't everything. Uh, lesson learned the hard way. Uh, when you run 12, 14-hour days for five years straight and seven days a week, there is a wall and it's really hard. And you definitely don't want to hit it. Now, some people enjoy reading books. I am not one of those. Um, I like learning by experience and hands-on, etc. If you are the kind of person that enjoy reading books, do it. I mean, whether you have Friday nights, Saturday nights, read your books. If you don't, then it's better to talk to people like in conferences, join these type of settings where you can get introduced to new things and what's going on. And this podcast, perfect. I mean, I have absolutely no idea about that uh, science and all of the Python and all that stuff, but I'm 
here because it's a keen interest to me. I'm not going to become at that interest. It's too late for me to, uh, like I said, I don't want to go back to school. I don't want to learn all of this, but I am gaining a lot of knowledge from the people here on this podcast and the group that I can then utilize when I'm talking to the professionals, which will come into my life in the next few months uh, in regards to my project. And I need to be able to understand what they're talking about. That's what I'm learning here today. Thank you very much, Tor. Super happy to have you here. I know I've learned a lot from you and I know the audience has as well. So thank you very much for that. And I would say just before investing too much time in learning anything new, right up front, right now, spend some time on learning how how to actually learn. That's something that we have never been taught. Um, you know, I've gone through years of school and nobody's ever taught me how to actually learn. And I think that's kind of a disservice. And once you learn how to learn effectively and efficiently, then things just become a little bit easier. So you can go right now and go to Coursera, get the course Learning How to Learn, taught by Dr. Barbara Oakley, completely free. It'll take you no more than three to four hours to get through. Um, She also has a book that accompanies the course called A Mind for Numbers, which is all about learning how to learn. Um, I I will be releasing a podcast episode with her later this year. Um, She's a lovely, lovely lady um, learning how to learn. And if you're in my Slack community, I've just shared this resource, Pragmatic Thinking and Learning. This book is, I'm telling you, man, this book is freaking amazing. Um, so another another book I'd recommend on top of that is just Jim Quick's Limitless. That's another good book. So learning how to learn. Very, very good course on Coursera and very good skill for you to have as well. Thank uh, you. Yeah. So uh, Quentin actually has a question that I think is related to what we're talking about right now. So Quentin, go ahead and ask your question. Then after Quentin, we'll get to Davron, then Yash, and then we'll call it a day. So if you have a question, now's the time to let me know and put it into the queue. Otherwise, after Quentin, we'll go to Davron and Yash. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Um, yeah, the question is in the same line, basically. Do we have like some kind of golden resource where we find like all the relevant materials that we can learn, like the new tools that are coming up that are that are meaningful? Like the thing is, I have the same the same thing where I'm sometimes dispersed, like scattered all over the place and trying to learn everything. And at the end of the day, I'm getting frustrated because I'm not learning, actually, because like to mention, it's not practical and I'm forgetting and whatever and then it's a vicious cycle but at the same time um i completely agree with what you're saying like the fact that focus on something for seven weeks like really internalize all the concepts the basics and then you can progress into the complexity of it and then you can actually get something and i think like when you have the work already you can just basically focus on the domain knowledge of your actual work but sometimes maybe the tools that you're going to be learning in your work environment are not that relevant compared to the mass of the market you know so you like you know you're learning something but maybe it's not that relevant compared to what actually going on so do we have some kind of resource or methodology to know okay, this is the tool we should be learning, or maybe this is another tool we should be learning. And maybe that tool we should be learning, we should say to the company we are working in, well, we should be using this tool instead of the other one. It's kind of like knowing how to keep up with the, the right environments. Because when you're learning a tool, like we know now Docker is kind of very important, but it, it has taken some time to get to that point. Like at the, fir- at the very beginning, uh, People were probably in the mindset of, okay, should I get into this or should I not or whatever? And then I'm going to invest some time and it's never wasted, but maybe you should have spent the time into something else more valuable. So it's it's always like a trade-off that is complicated to make. Yeah, I think when it comes to keeping up on what new technologies are out there, going to like conferences, I think it's probably a good mm. way to do that. So like 
you know, PyCon, PyData Conference, or attending webinars like the ones that Comet ML host quite often. Those are are useful as well. I think there's a like they have these panel discussions as well with a bunch of people talking about ML ops stuff like that. So that I think is a great way. But I don't know if that fully answers your question. Um, I'm still kind of digesting the question, so I'm gonna flip this one over to Iodeli. Yeah, I would say I have not been able to find the kind of golden source that has everything because. I think part of it is that data science is kind of hot and because so everyone wants to create content about it, I think um, is the biggest problem. But if you take this focused approach, you can kind of create your own digital blinders. So you have um, maybe your eight areas of focus as different folders of uh browser bookmarks. And as you come across things that you want to learn um, in three months, you just save it as this, you know, I'll hold off um, and not get myself overwhelmed and visit it then. So that's kind of been my approach because it is so easy. Um, If I had just one learning folder, it would have 700 links in it. Um, So if you can try and create those ways to flow through the different topics without feeling overwhelmed. Um, it might just have to be organization because it is, there's great stuff on Medium as well as Coursera, Udemy, kind of everywhere. Yeah, true. Definitely. Thank you, guys. Yeah. yeah. I guess you, you always have to be like on the on the spot, like uh, every day looking at every sources and keeping up to date, but not being overwhelmed. Yeah. Like uh, fine me, line. Pers- me personally, dude, I don't really focus that much on all the new trends and technologies and stuff like that. Um, I, I just kind of, I kind of like to me, the basics, the fundamentals, the foundations mm-hmm. of things are super important. Um, but I have colleagues, like for example, the data architect I work with, he's always up on new trends and I'll rely on him as a source of information for what's new. Um, and also just, you know, things like this where people talk about what they're working on or, you know, happy hours, office hours where people talk about what they're working on and it just gives me uh, new things to explore. So LinkedIn is a great choice as well. I think just following what people are talking about. So hopefully that was helpful. Um, Hopefully you got the the answers you're looking for. Yeah, yeah, completely. Thank you guys. Yeah, no problem. Let's go to Davron. And then after Davron, we will go to Yash. Oh, Natasha, wait, do you have uh, an input here? You're muted. We can't hear you, Natasha. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. Um, have you guys heard of Data Camp? Oh, that's like a like boot camp platform, right? So it's an intuitive, like um, the interface is like, you don't have to download any of the uh, data tools. Um, so it's like an interactive way module um, type of uh, structure. So there on this um, uh, source, you can see all the latest like technologies. The ones I mentioned are SQL, Python, Tableau, Power BI, Scala, Shell, Git. Um, And you can pick also which topic um, you want to, uh, you know, learn about or get better at. So for example, you have probability and statistics importing and cleaning data, applied finance, programming, data manipulation, uh, data engineering. Um, So you can pick the tool and then you can pick the associated topic or you can just pick the tool and then it'll give you a variety of courses. Um, So it is, um, you know, theory of course is very important to learn and then being able to apply that. Um, So I think this uh, data camp is great. Oh, also you can do case studies. Um, There's a bunch of stuff on like COVID um, related uh, studies. 
yeah, I, I highly would recommend this. And then you can also earn certifications and share that on LinkedIn. But um, I know someone earlier was just mentioning like, oh, like everything is like scattered. But I think this is a good like summary of all the different technologies and topics you can uh, learn about. Nice. Also looks like it's reasonably priced as well. So that's a great. Uh, yeah. Um, I think it's like 30 bucks a month. Um, so yeah, it's, I think that's reasonably priced. Yeah. Ron, yeah. Thank you for that. So bunch of awesome resources for you there, Quentin. Let's go ahead and move on to Davron. Hi, um, I Adele and Harpreet, I would like to first thank you for all you guys do giving us so much uh, to the data science community. Uh, my question is regarding, I, I, I listened to your last podcast about the interview challenge, uh, challenges, that how hard it could be, right? Uh, but my question here, specifically about the coding challenge, the Python coding challenge, um, like when we first learned Python, right? How hello world and show us about data structures, lists and uh, dictionaries. Are we expected to ask uh, getting these kind of basic questions or more like advanced, like uh, building helper help functions and Python building how the data science process goes from EDA all the way to the produ- uh, production? Uh, so I guess to me just make sure I understand the question, so I'm going to rephrase it back. So the question is for coding challenges, what types of, what types of or for coding interviews, what types of topics come up frequently? Is that the question? Yeah, it's kind of like the like for example, coding challenge. What kind of uh, is it like more hard type of coding we'll get, or more like very basic questions we're getting, like what what is list, what is like dictionaries? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the questions I've seen on coding challenges, like the the coding screen interviews, they're definitely not easy ones. They're kind of puzzles. And, and they're, they're problem solving questions essentially, right? So you'll be given a problem statement, and so you need to find or create a Python function that satisfies the conditions and passes all the test case for that particular um, problem statement that they have. Uh, they're tough, man. They're not easy. And they're a, beyond like that hello world level. One website I found super helpful to just kind of get you get you uh, prepped up for that is uh, Python principles. I'll go ahead and I'll find the link and I'll share the link here uh, while Ideli is giving her a response. Yeah, I would say um, hacker rank and leak code in that medium to hard level um, is pretty much where you're going to be looking. So despite the fact that uh, they may not be as uh, specific problems, they may not be data science specific problems, you'll see very much algorithms and kind of data structures. Um, but and being able to get, I would say, comfortable with at least being able to attempt maybe some of the hard problems and being able to complete the medium ones. Um, That's the vast majority of the kind of coding challenges I've had. Um, You may have some like take homes where they ask you to um, maybe write some SQL code or uh, conduct a very basic analysis. But um, yeah, those uh, harder level uh, Python questions is what you'll most likely run into. Yeah, they're challenging, man. So don't get your confidence beat up if you're going through those and you're like, oh my God, this is super difficult. It's meant to stretch you and you'll get better. So the website I linked here, Python Principles Challenges, this will be a good way to to kind of build confidence in yourself and mm-hmm. kind of understand how to ch- solve these type of challenges. And then after that, move up to like Hacker Inc. and some of the more difficult um, levels they have there. Uh Asha is talking about pi4e.com. I've never heard of that. So I'll definitely look into that. Um, yeah, Hacker Inc. is definitely a, a good source as well. But I, I Can I think, try? 
Yeah, yeah, go on. Sorry, I didn't mean to catch you off. Just finish. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I think the most challenging part is taking the quote-unquote word problem that they've given you and then trying to translate that word problem into a programming problem. That's going to be the biggest leap because once you've been able to, okay, understand this word problem as a coding problem, like the functions aren't really that difficult, which is it's interesting. Uh, but yeah, sorry, go on, Asha. And is, it, Quentin. is it all of the... Uh... Is it mostly will be at uh, like a take home or they will be like next to you watching you with you typing? It could be a mix of of both. So typically there'll be a coding screen that comes up and you'll have maybe like, and by coding screen, I mean, just like they'll send you a link to some platform and then you have a set time limit to go through maybe four to five problems. Uh, And that problem could be a mix of Python, SQL, machine learning stats, depends entirely on the role. And then once you get past that, then there's still more to do which could include a whiteboarding challenge. <laughs> okay. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much, Paul. Yeah. So let's hear from Asha, then Quentin on this topic. No, I wanted to mention the site I've linked. It's called PY4E. It's by Chuck Severas. I think that's the name of the instructor. But it's just for introduction to Python if you've never worked with Python. It doesn't have the data science libraries like the NumPy, the Cypher. It doesn't have all that. But it'll give you uh, open, like it'll be the first step of how to baby step into it before you walk into the Python libraries. And for the code, a lot of the times, especially with the libraries, the data science libraries, you can automate very many things. So you do not have to worry about that. That's my opinion. Because a lot of this time, a lot of the things you just call on a function, then it just carries it out for you. So you do not have to worry about the metrics. Some of them are very straightforward. It looks like Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, it looks like it has an accompanying book that goes with it. And the website seems um, like all the stuff here is free. So that's awesome as well. Uh, Quinton? Yes. Um, yes, the question is, I discovered recently uh, one of the resources like uh, Akarank. Ak- yeah, Akarank. I think it's really good. Like I was you know, trying to do challenges. It is, some of them were quite difficult. Um, but I felt uh, that they were kind of software engineer related like they were not about like it was about python skills it was not about data science but python skills so um regarding those kind of challenges plus op so object-oriented programming like how much of that is kind of required uh, since you guys uh, have kind of more experience uh in data science job or is it or is it just kind of a plus like a bonus for the employer to say okay this guy has a lot of Python skills, so maybe you can move into something else more specific and not only data science jobs, but how much is that related to data science? Um, I think OOP is pretty, so object-oriented programming is pretty important to data science roles, um, so definitely know how to do that, ideally. Yeah, I would say, despite the fact that it feels a lot more software engineering focused, I would say that that's the norm, especially for interviews. You may notice that um, you're doing things or using frameworks or tools to actually do it once you get into the role. Um, But it's kind of the norm to expect that that is the, um, what you're getting tested on in interview versus building a model or being able to use any kind of like data science libraries. Um, so yeah, it's, it may not totally match up with, uh, when you do start doing the work, but, um, having that expectation that you should still have a good, uh, coding and programming background. Um, yeah, and thinking about it as well, like you're tested on the problem solving mindset of the thinking process, not just anything about the problem. So anyways, okay. Thank you. 
right on. So just noticing the time, we'll wrap it up with one more question from Yash. Um, man, this hour and a half went by super quick, guys. Great questions. Yash, go ahead and we'll finish up with your question. Uh, as I'm currently pursuing bachelor's in applied statistics and analytics, and the second year of this bachelor's will end in June or July, and I will left only one uh, year after this. My question is, should I go for master's after bachelor's or should I go for get some work experience of minimum two to three years? Because uh, both of uh, them are pros and cons. Some people says that you should go for master's, but really data science, for data science roles uh, for a company, they don't ask for master's. And uh, some people say you don't have to do master's after you get into a job. Yeah, this question, I would say you need to answer for yourself, right? Like, like, do you want a master's? Because if you want a master's, forget what everybody else says and just go for it, right? If you want to go and study more and study deeper into a particular topic, then yeah, dude, go for it. Study, get that master's degree, get better and understand something at a more deeper level for sure. Um, but if you just want to get a job and start making money, then is getting a master's aligned with that goal? So what is your goal in life, right? Define that for yourself. If your goal is to have a deeper, more intimate understanding of a particular field, which you believe that you can only gain through further graduate education, then go down that path. If, you, if your goal is to, I need to get paid, man. I need to start making money. And yeah, I want to get paid. Then go get a job, right? Um, I think as simple as that, but I would definitely go for it. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, it's about short and long term goals. So if you are in the stage where you, you really want to start make mo making money, start getting work experience, um, I would start looking for jobs. Uh, but if you um, are ready to kind of go deeper, then maybe a master's degree is something that uh, uh, actually I think, according to my, uh, I think that data science is not, uh, um, you know, like a another field like uh, uh, chemistry or physics. It's a tool which implies in every field. You can apply data science in sociology, chemistry, chemistry, you can apply everywhere. And uh, my bachelors, they are completely full of uh, skills. They uh, teach me machine learning, R, Python. So uh, uh, before I told in the meeting that I'm also doing quantum computing course and quantum computing have, I think, have a, uh, you know, common area with data science, uh, you know, cryptocurrency. So while you mining the cryptocurrency, you know the that quantum cryptocurrency also and that data science skills for mining the cryptocurrency for and for the, uh, I asked for master's before, if you want to do mining quantum cryptocurrency for now they are asking for master's degree at least so that's why i raised this question it sounds like you already have the answer to your question yeah so it, it it is it in line with your goals like that that's what it comes down to right so it sounds to me you talked about you're interested in like cryptocurrency quantum computing and in order for you to go further i'm majorly interested in research field okay well if you're interested in research then Yes, go to grad school because that's where you'll, you'll learn how to research. I don't think they really teach you how to research in an undergraduate program, um, but it, it, it comes down to what do you want and what aligns well with your goals. Right? Uh, that's ultimately what it comes down to. It's not an easy question that we can say yes. You, Yash, based on the 12 minutes that I've talked to you, should go and do a master's degree. Like, I can't, I can't make that decision for you. Uh, you gotta, you gotta really think about what you want, where you're trying to go, and if one path or the other is going to get you there. Um, so yeah, 
that's that's what I would say. Uh, I also asked this question with another people like Thomas and I asked my elder brother. So he said that you should got at least two to three uh, work experience. After that, you go for masters because at least you will get that how to mine the data or visualize. Yeah. So. I Definitely. think I should research for this. Yeah, more. F- figure out what works uh, best for you and then go down that path. I see Quentin and Tor got your hands up, guys. We're just going to wrap it up here with, with that. So I appreciate you guys wanting to chime in, um, but we're going to go ahead and wrap up today's session. Thank you guys so much for taking time out of your Thank Sunday. Thank you so much, everyone. Yeah, no worries, man. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule to be here, guys. We'll be back again next week, same time. But before we go, I want to remind you guys that the Data Community Content Creators Award is open for your votes and your nominations. So we can't make this happen unless you guys vote. So here's a link right here to go and vote for your favorite content creators um, amongst various different fields hosted by Kate Strachany and myself on LinkedIn, completely live and totally powered by you guys. Like literally we can't do this event unless you guys are out there voting and helping make this happen. So please take time out of your schedule to nominate your favorite uh, content creators and let's make this big, man. I'm, I'm excited for this. It's going to be huge. We're proper red carpet event, man. It's going to be awesome. Um, also, don't forget, tune into the podcast, Artists of Data Science, or at least an episode on Friday with Dr. Sadna Bokahira. She's a gelatologist. She um, studies comedians, which is awesome. Don't forget, also Friday after our session, join me on that as well. This thing will be up Thursday as usual, guys. Um, thank you so much for hanging out. Appreciate you guys being here. Take care. Remember, you got one life on this planet when I try to do something big. Cheers. <laughs>